Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the All In Crypto podcast. I am your host, All In Crypto, and today I am very excited to be introducing my next guest. We have Zigger Drev, the co-founder and managing director of Trace Labs, which is the company that are the core developers behind Origin Trails. So welcome on board, Zigger. It is a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. And uh, I said to you briefly off camera that the last time I came across a project and got as excited as I did with uh, looking at Origin Trails recently was Chainlink back in 2018 with this idea of being able to uh, verify data and have it work as an Oracle price feed. Uh, and I think you guys, for me, are largely the evolution of that. So very, very excited to have you on. Uh, and with all my guests, I really like to start with them. Uh, so if you could perhaps give yourself a little bit of an introduction and how you got into the distributed ledger technology space, that would be brilliant. Um, yes, thank you very much for, for having me. Uh, I'm Giga, one of the founders of Origin Trail uh, and also co-founder uh, of Trace Labs, which is the core development company of Origin Trail uh, ecosystem, essentially. Uh, and uh, we, I got into the distributed ledger world uh, very much gradually. Um, some 10 years and even more so ago, uh, myself and two of my co-founders uh, wanted to kind of solve a problem of um, transparency issue when su in supply chains. Uh, and back then, we uh, kind of saw this problem prevailing within the food supply chains, uh, whereby uh, honest producers of very quality uh, organic products had very difficult time uh, distinguishing their products from cheap imports. Uh, so 12 years ago and or, or so, we developed a very rudimentary system that allowed uh, producers of organic uh, quality food to convey more information to consumers and in that way uh, kind of differentiate their product offering from cheap imports. Uh, and then over a course of a few years, uh, we also managed to establish a company. We got a few clients. Uh, and this is when the first centralized solution was born, uh, a scalable solution. Uh, we were able to sell it across the, the food industry. Uh, and that solution essentially um, acted as a broker of information between producers of food or just about any item in supply chains and consumers, which were able to verify and check information uh, and quality parameters of products that they were, were buying in stores. Uh, back then, that was around 2016, uh, 2015, we got a lot of questions as to how, as consumers, how, how as you know, partners in supply chains can trust information they receive about products they were buying, about products, products they were handling. And uh, this is when we started to discover this very cool technology of blockchain, uh, which we also immediately discovered was not immediately applicable to the problem uh, that we faced in supply chains uh, for several reasons, uh, a couple of them being uh, definitely cost uh, issues. And we're talking about um, uh, permission, permissionless blockchains, not some hyperledgers or, 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 or you know, a private variants. Uh, so cost was definitely a prohibitive factor. And secondly, uh, blockchains do not possess uh, database features that you would need to describe the reality around us. So to act as a trusted knowledge foundation for the real world. The real world. Um, and in 2016-17, after conducting few experiments with uh, blockchain technology, initially Ethereum, uh, we saw that we need to build an additional layer between blockchains and applications within the enterprise sector. Uh, and uh, because of our past experience before that, we saw that there are two uh, components to the technology that were very handy and useful to tackle such a challenge. Uh, one such component is called Knowledge Graph. Knowledge Graph technology is being used by companies such as Google, Amazon, essentially the biggest companies, most important companies to organize information and make it discoverable. Now, just, you know, this centralized knowledge graphs currently being used by Google, uh, bigger companies, of course, are meant to somehow appropriate data. And the problem still is that using the, uh, knowledge graph as a centralized database, you still cannot prove you know, whether or not this, this data has integrity. So we still kind of lean back on the blockchain and we decided to merge both technologies. So we overlaid knowledge graph 
first off, kind of uh, theoretically, over uh, blockchain, and we devised a so-called decentralized knowledge graph. Uh, and the decentralized knowledge graph was then first described in a white paper, uh, end of 2017. We even uh, did a test um, integration with one of the retailers in, in Asia, in, in Shanghai. And that also got us into Walmart food safety innovation pipeline as the only non-Chinese company, uh, which also kind of gave us a lot of, uh, I would say, um, confidence also to establish an office in Hong Kong. Um, and um, soon after, after successfully also completing an ICO based on the white paper that people found very compelling, uh, we launched the first network in 2018. So the first network was born, the first really decentralized knowledge graph, which also soon after was applied to many sectors within supply chains, from food supply chains to railway sector to uh, assurance and compliance. And nowadays, uh, we're predominantly seeing that decentralized knowledge graph can also br bring confidence into artificial intelligence, um, simply because artificial intelligence um is becoming one of the biggest bullshit generators it used to be us humans uh but now machines are becoming far more capable even at producing um uh, misinformation and this is where we find ourselves now and this is where origins well we feel can really provide this uh leapfrog solution towards really brokering tr trust uh not just in supply chains but in any aspect of of human life yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I want to kind of unpack a lot of that and maybe just start off by talking about what a knowledge graph is. So, and, and this is why we love having people like yourself on, because it became very apparent to me that with the use of a distributed ledger technology, you can fundamentally change many of the systems that we have today. So Bitcoin spawned this, of course, with money. You know, it looked to tackle the problem of um, centralized banking and all the kind of issues that surround that. And a distributed ledger was perfect for that. And Hal Finney himself, um, somebody who many people believe was Satoshi, I'm not quite convinced, um, but he said that actually there are many applications to a global distributed ledger. And this is what really excites me about Origin Trails, because you guys are applying a distributed ledger technology to a knowledge graph that fundamentally changes the game from a number of different perspectives. So could we maybe sort of unpack what a knowledge graph actually is, perhaps in the centralized version as Google use it, and then we will add on where the implementation of a decentralized knowledge graph takes us. You know, what are the pros and cons? So if we could just maybe unpack what a knowledge graph is at maybe a basic level, um, and then we can sort of go into a little bit more detail on it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, knowledge graph in essence could be considered as one form of a database. Um, we would say that this is a far more advanced database than say relational database because you can uh, you can establish connections between data points and organize data in much more performant way than just using um, you know standard relational database. Uh, it's 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 definitely you know a, a more complex database, but because of you know the, the the properties of being able to link data, to link knowledge, to link information within the database itself, uh, you can organize information in far more granular granular way, uh, and that's the reason why knowledge graphs are being used um, much more than the standard relational database. Uh, within the you know internet technology by giants such as Google, uh, Microsoft, um, Facebook, essentially to organize information about yourself, organizing information about products and services they sell, so that they can be much more effective and efficient at targeting uh, and uh, amping up their business models. So in a nutshell, uh, knowledge graph can be considered as a very very performant database. Um, now, the problem with centralized knowledge graphs, at least the way we see it, is Digger, that... Ju ju just to break that down a little bit more, sorry to interrupt you there, um, because I, I, I can't wait to get into what you're about to now get into in regards to the problems with centralization uh, in regards to a knowledge graph. But I don't think any of us are under any illusion that when we use applications like Google, Facebook, YouTube, which this is going to be airing on, we mm -hmm. get targeted information specifically to us or our devices, mm -hmm. basically, that we're 
the users of. Um, and that's made capable through a knowledge graph. Because if you just have a database, you know, it's a lot more hard to, um, what would the word be? Sort of pinpoint who's watching what, you know, mm -hmm. you've just got all mm -hmm. this data and it's not really compiled. But whereas a knowledge graph links things together so that it yep. can target an audience a lot better. So is a knowledge graph, and of course we know there's the implementation of algorithms, is a knowledge graph a, a key feature with some of these sort of tech giants in regards to um, knowing how to show you certain content, for example? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, thanks to the knowledge graph, we also, uh, you know, got a tech, a tech giants such as Google. Google uses knowledge graph. Uh, and I believe Google pretty much is the pioneer of of knowledge graphs, at least in in, in a sense of you know really monetizing this this technology uh, of being able to pr uh, produce page rank so that you're able to see you know which which pages are popular, uh, and in that way you as also participant in, in the in the in the internet can also somehow exploit the page rank to make your page more popular if you have more other websites linked to 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 your to your website. So traditional, let's say, centralized tech giants are really using this technology very much to, to their benefits. Um, and uh, essentially what we wanted to do is provide a variant that is, uh, that is also going to be tailored for you know, the Web3 purposes and some of the principles that we hold near and dear uh, within the Web3 ecosystem, which is uh, democratizing data access and also um, allowing people to more equitably share uh, value uh, when it comes to information knowledge creation, uh, and I think this problem. So within the Web three space, we oftentimes oftentimes talk about transactions. Uh, we talk about you know how Bitcoin is a store of value, how Bitcoin is the new gold, which it is. It is an asset class. Uh, but I think what we are trying to shed more lights on within the Web three space is how can knowledge become a new asset class. And knowledge can become a new asset class if you're combining both aspects. So knowledge graphs to capture information, essentially structure information in into an actionable knowledge, and at the same time provide blockchain as an underpinning that is driving kind of a consensus when it comes to the ownership of data, also transferability of data, uh, and also being able to do so in a in a scalable manner. And this is where also some of the technologies such as uh, such as Polkadot. Uh, comes in, uh, and of course also uh, some other blockchain technologies. But I'm touching upon Polkadot because, like we we talked before, it is a technology that acts as uh, let's say an interoperable engine with other blockchains, to which you know we can also transfer this knowledge that comes to an existence on on the decentralized knowledge graph. So overarchingly, you know, blockchain space it has been about transactions. It's, it has been about uh, giving cryptocurrencies a property of, uh, of 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 an asset class, but what we try to do is we try to instill this property of an asset class into the knowledge itself. Um, we believe that the knowledge itself is going to be the essentially the the, the key driver for human prosperity, uh, and we want to dem democratize it. We want to dem dem democratize access, and we also want to democratize um, the the value sharing uh, that you get when you are bringing together data and knowledge. And traditionally, big companies, Google, Microsoft, not that we have like um, anything against them, we're even yep. using some of their components because our approach is overarchingly cohesive. We don't want to be competing against anybody out there. We don't want to be competing about uh, against uh, projects in the cryptocurrency space. We see that there is a high level of complementarity. We also have like some very cool partners from the Web3 space, but also we don't want to compete with Web2 companies. We feel that we can build bridges without being competitive against the likes of Google, the likes of Microsoft, and then bring aboard not only them, but also their user base. So for that reason, also, we, we do have some collaborations in place with the likes of Google and some, some other companies. Um, I hope that that answers your, your question. It's a little bit more yeah, like a 360 no, um, walk around the issue. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really glad we started in that direction of kind of breaking down the two components to origin trails, the knowledge graph and then the distributed ledger component, even though they're one in the same in origin trails, you know, there are two components here. And uh, you mentioned something about blockchains not really being great databases. Um, so 
how how does that work in, in essence? Does the knowledge graph, where is that data stored and how is that data stored? Because you know, we're we're a big fan of this kind of uh, new thing in crypto, although it's not a new thing. It's always been very relevant, which is kind of termed as DPIN, decentralized physical infrastructure. You know, mm-hmm. when you look mm-hmm. at NFTs, um, and even if you look at how, you know, the Ethereum nodes are structured, the majority are ran on Amazon Web Services. Mm-hmm. You know, the majority mm-hmm. of NFTs are actually stored on Amazon. Um, so how do you guys, not that that's necessarily a bad thing, actually store data on the knowledge graph? Mm-hmm. Is it um, in the form of a tokenized asset, or yeah, it, it is. It is. So um, the the knowledge itself is stored in the form we we call them knowledge assets. Uh, knowledge asset is a new internet primitive that we developed and launched uh, together with the latest version of of Origin Trail decentralized knowledge graph v six in the beginning of 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 the last year. And knowledge graph essential knowledge asset is essentially composed of an NFT. And on top of the NFT, you would also have uh, uh, an associated um, knowledge graph for for each NFT. So the NFT brings you the property of ownership and also the transferability of this knowledge. And of course, on top of it, the knowledge graph can be expanded and even updated. Um, And this also uh, very much corresponds to how the network looks like. So DKG is a two-network system. So we would still be maintaining the consensus or outsourcing uh, consensus mechanism to the blockchain layer. And in this blockchain layer, we would have several uh, blockchains integrated. In the past uh, version of the network, we would have Gnosis, Ethereum, Matic. uh, And then in the newest, the latest, V6, um, we we integrated it with Polkadot, uh, our own parachain, which uh, up until December was called Origin Trail Parachain, but now it's being called Neuro, uh, Neuro because it does instill certain uh, artificial intelligence uh, um, kind of features onto the consensus layer itself. But at the same time, it's it is one of the networks that um, that very robustly propels the decentralized knowledge graph. So that's the, the blockchain layer. So DKG is multi-chain. On top of it, we have a, a so-called ori- uh, origin trail decentralized network. And origin trail decentralized network is essentially structured as a decentralized, as, as a knowledge graph database. With one infor- important uh, distinction that uh, the, the knowledge graph database, so the knowledge that gets relayed onto the the second layer of the network uh, is being replicated on, uh, onto three nodes in the in the in the ODN, and the ODN essentially is being uh, supported by uh, a permissionless network. Anyone can enter that that network as a node runner and can support can become can become you know the the holder of the of the knowledge and can even earn some rewards in our utility token for performing those services. So in this second layer of the network, the data is being stored in the form of of knowledge graphs. And there's also one important component in order to maintain, um, essentially, um, you you have replication, but at the same time, you also uh, store hashes, so cryptographic fingerprints on both layers, so that you can always check whether someone at the upper layer has tampered with the information contained on the node. So both layers are very important, uh, and um, we feel that you know this cohesion has always been necessary, and that we cannot go and just you know jump straight onto storing data on chain because that would be neither possible because um, you know blockchain do not have certain database properties that you need, and it's also not scalable. Like blockchains are not meant for data storage. Uh, so it's a perfect fit, perfect complementarity between both uh, between both networks. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely love that. So you've almost got a bit of a kind of deep in system in house in regards to actually storing the knowledge in a, yeah. in a decentralized way, just in the true ethos of this entire um, space. And it, I've got so many questions I want to ask you. It's just how how do I fit them in? Because I just want to maybe ask you like five or six questions right now, but I want to kind of make sure there's a structure to them. And I think one of the um, best places to go from here is maybe if I could ask you why the decentralization of knowledge is so important. Because as I see it, I do see um, 
a bit of a techno-feudalistic world arising where you have the big companies that essentially have, in many cases, a monopoly over things like mm. knowledge on the internet, at least. What is the importance of actually decentralizing knowledge as a kind of overview? Because I think that's a really interesting subject we could get into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'll try to touch one specific uh, example where uh, humanity or collective of persons or collective of, um, let's say, organizations can really reach much higher um, optimum than they would have if knowledge like knowledge, remains shielded in, let's say, data lakes. Um, I'm going to use the, the example uh, from the States where uh, the biggest retailers over there, they, they, they got together, they formed an organization called Supplier Compliance Audit Network. Uh, so you will have Walmart, Costco, JCPenney, the biggest importers to the, to the states deciding to essentially exchange information amongst themselves. And mind that those organizations are actually competing against each other in a free market. Uh, but in that particular case, uh, these organizations decided that it makes sense not to compete when it comes to safety of imports uh, and exchange information. And in order to do so, they decided to use Origin Trail because Origin Trail gives them this property of at the same time um, providing some cushion or providing some protection against sharing sensitive information uh, you know, publicly or even amongst uh, parties to the to this um to this consortium. So, you know, protecting sensitive data while still being able to exchange information in a way that they all benefit from it. So information knowledge. Um, and in doing so, what they achieve here is they fight audit fatigue. The, the audit fatigue, uh, it, this is about you know uh, the inspection controls on foreign factories that import to the United States. So instead of, say, Walmart having to repeat audit on the same factory where Costco or, or, or Home Depot has already done it in Asia, they would instead, instead exchange information so that they would reach certain efficiencies. Uh, at the same time, they would also achieve you know, safety, product safety when it comes to import of, of products. So this is one such instance where organization organizations achieve much higher optimum by being able to, let's say, democratize information exchange in a small circle of organizations. Now, if we kind of repeat the same exercise at the at the human level, so that anyone can exchange information freely without you know having to be afraid that this information will be stolen from him in a way or exploited as an IP that he or she would have lost, then we can as a society achieve much, much higher optimum. And right now we're kind of picturing this as a, as a theoretical example, but already now you're able to essentially go on X and mine new knowledge on a decentralized knowledge graph. We actually launched knowledge mining uh, for First off, to start off with a category of art. So essentially, you're able to upload your whatever art you have, digital or even physical art, on X platform and um, essentially write a, write a command of a... Uh, so ChatDKG, we use that bot on, 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 on Twitter. And you can essentially already mine the new knowledge representing your physical art. And what that does for you as an artist, say, it does, you know, you provide this claim to fame that this is your art. And whoever is going to create, let's say, uh, a generated new like derivative from that art can always show and point to the lineage of the original art that you've created. So this is also an example where individuals, artists can get involved in the DKG and provide protection for uh, for their art, the you know pr- protect their their IP uh, in, in a way. So same exercise will be repeated in the decentralized science space where researchers are going to be able to enshrine knowledge from their research onto the DKG, make it available for AI systems to pull information from it. So we call that RAG. It's a, it's a retrieval. It's short for retrieval augmented generation. And essentially, you do still apply uh, generative AI at the end of the day, but you're always able to verify What's the lineage of information that you use to train your AI model? Uh, so again, 
origin trail or the tracking yep. the information of of knowledge that you're being that you're using when you're using AI. So all of these things things. So if we can somehow free up more information, more knowledge, give people tools to essentially reap benefits uh, in a much more democratic way. This is how we believe that we will we will reach much higher optimum as a society, as yep. opposed to just you know shielding information and appropriating it in the hands of like massive, massively big companies. Yep, yep, no, absolutely. And it, 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 there's something I also want to ask you about actually storing data. We had spoke about storing data via DNA. I mean, could you imagine if from the start of humanity we had a way of storing data and verifying it? throughout the ages. I mean, we right now, who yeah. knows where we would be as a uh, species. Um, but before we go into maybe storing data and DNA, the, the, the kind of way I really look at origin trails is as a source of truth, a source of provenance, a source of uh, verifiability for data. You know, Bitcoin, to use Bitcoin as an example again, gives people a source of provenance in regards to where that Bitcoins came from. And it, it, it's just a database of basically, well, not a database, it's basically a ledger of how to track things. And that's why we trust it. The same thing here is really being applied to knowledge. And the interesting thing, although you're not, um, as you say, necessarily trying to compete with Google, perhaps more complement it and offer an alternative in regards to data, um, the really interesting for me is right now you really have Google as the source of truth, you know, mm -hmm. and they have their own knowledge graph, which of course is centralized, where if you guys are coming along and you're offering an alternative, just like Bitcoin coming along and offering alternative money to knowledge in a secure mm -hmm. and verifiable way. And I absolutely love this. I mean, some of the stuff that you just mentioned there is brilliant. If I have a theory on something, I can make that into a knowledge asset that can be then tracked back to me. And you can say, okay, well, when did you come up with this theory? Well, actually your knowledge asset was after my knowledge asset. So, you know, there's a lot, there's mm -hmm. the, the, the world of possibilities is absolutely um, endless with this. Uh, and I do see you guys as a, as a real force of good, a real kind of evolution of, of knowledge and how we verify it um, and, and, and trust it. Mm-hmm. How could we, we, we spoke a little bit off camera and we've spoken about it twice off camera now, and I kind of want to bring it on camera. What can you do in terms of storing this knowledge, perhaps in the real world? We've mentioned doing it via DNA. Mm -hmm. Can mm -hmm. we expand on that a little bit? Yeah. Um, if you just look Big into topic. the history, yeah, it's a, it's a very broad topic because you, I think you also need to look into the history of how knowledge was produced. And you also mentioned that back in the days, uh, plenty of knowledge disappeared. That's why we don't know exactly how pyramids were built, etc. Yep. So previous civilizations, they were like, they had this spectacular knowledge, which they really, you know, it was not maintained uh, up until, uh, you know, the first uh, clay writings were uh, were made and then discovered. And even those clay writings, I'm sure that many of them uh, got lost. So previous civilization already produced a vast amount of knowledge which we will likely never discover uh and then in the in the you know in the dark ages uh pretty much all the knowledge was maintained by monks in monasteries uh making transcriptions and pretty much we had this knowledge scarcity because of that up until the gutenberg the, um, developed the printing press and this is where when the knowledge um, started to be started to proliferate much faster because we were able to print books, um, and you know this gap of uh, knowledge um, knowledge somehow got filled in by the books, which was very positive. Then came internet, and internet brought connectivity. Uh, I'm saying connectivity also because uh, one of our uh, advisors, uh, Bob Metcalf, he's uh, also a formulator of the law of network effects. And connectivity essentially allows, you know, the internet as a driver of connectivity allows us to connect, allows us to share even more information, even more faster. So we completely annihilated the problem of information scarcity with the internet. But this is when, you know, a new problem started to become much more apparent, which is a problem of trust. How can we be sure that you are, you know, what you uh, pretend to be or the information, the attestations that you're presenting? So we have this information um redundancy but we have this attention fatigue we don't know you know which information to trust and we have this trust deficit uh so now knowledge perhaps has another role to play um so how can we 
track knowledge? Who's the producer of that knowledge? And also, still, how can we connect knowledge? Like you said, you can have conflicting statements, but still, it makes sense to present both conflicting statements for you know the 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 variety of researchers, variety of uh, public uh, entities to decide decide what is true and what isn't. So we also need to fight censorship. So in 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 this day and age, we have much more problems uh, than we have solutions. Uh, and I guess one of the principles that we can apply here is we should make knowledge as freely available as possible. There's a saying, uh, knowledge is power, but knowledge shared is power multiplied. So we need to somehow break the shackles for knowledge, essentially to reach the people, for people to be able to then to, you know, educated people to decide what is a true representation of the real world. And in a way, we should get more people involved in producing and also gaining value from the knowledge economy that will now will now, will now explode. So we're at the intersection of a very very fast knowledge creation, but at the same time, the knowledge creation can be done can be conducted in a in a decent in a centralized way or in a decentralized way. Now we believe that let's say in the in the field of academia or decentralized science. It's, it's still a very centralized um, um, arena here. So you, you would have companies, you would have uh, countries, you would have like European Union financing vast amount of, amounts of knowledge. But yep. the problem is it is all done at the expense of researchers. They're, they're not getting a fair cut when they're producing knowledge. It's pretty much editorials with journals, which are you know monopolizing the knowledge that they did not produce and they reap ben benefits from it. So going again from the problem of uh, scarcity of information and then to abundance of information, and then again to, to the problem of us not being able to, I guess, uh, equally participate in the knowledge problem, I think technologies, I'm not just going to you know say phrases to, to the decentralized knowledge graph, also oracles, also yep. you know the blockchain layers that we see are being built right now. I think these are all substrates on which a new society can be built. But I guess also here, how we approach the application, the applications with Web3, I think we should all, especially us in Web3, approach things with a grain of salt. I think yes. those pr protagonists within the Web3 world, we kind of tend to believe that we can subversively work against the big monopolies. Whereas I believe that we should also like, I guess, offer bridges to the Web2 companies to start using Web3 technologies and start using Web3 technologies in a way that they hook in their user base. And when their user base is absolutely convinced that Web3 technologies make sense, I think this complementarity between Web2 and Web3 technologies will simply morph into a perfect cohesion, whereby it's going to be in an indistinguishable feature uh, or features between between both worlds, and we will transition into a much more, I guess, fair society where knowledge is being produced and also maintained in a in a more democratic way. Again, a very three hundred and sixty walk around. Uh, why I feel kind of the, the 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 knowledge graph, the 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 ability of being able to share knowledge to to reap benefits from knowledge. Is, is important, not just for the organizations, but also for individuals, researchers. Um, and it's, you know, we touched upon Polkadot before. I think in a Web3 space, we should also somehow break the barriers of this, um, how is it called? The, the tribalism. Tribalism, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think everybody just, you know, praises, says, says praises to their coins, whereas we don't feel that this should be the case where like we can all reach a much higher optimum within the Web3 space if we build interoperable solutions, if we get rid of the tribalism, and that actually got us into a polk, uh, to, to the Polkadot ecosystem, which somehow fosters, I would say, collaboration much more than any other blockchain blockchain ecosystem. Yep. Uh, perhaps also because of its foundry that stems from Ethereum, and then uh, they they also attempted to build an interoperable engine. Uh, and this is where we also kind of feel at home, and that's why we also deployed our own uh, L1 on 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 Polkadot called Neuro. And um, we feel that you know this approach will also allow us to connect to other chains, not not only within the Polkadot ecosystem, but also outside uh, when the bridge is mature, when the technology also gets um, other technologies get get closer to to, to Polkadot.
Yeah, if you look at uh, Electric Capital did a recent report on developers. Now, developers are fundamental to a, a, a Web3 project because just like with the internet, you know, without the developers, things didn't get built that people come on and use. And, and you know, they're a good kind of indicator of, uh, uh, or can be a good indicator of value. Mm-hmm. And actually they did a um, report on interconnectivity between blockchains from a developer point of view. And Polkadot was second to Ethereum. You know, if you look at the mm-hmm. connectivity of Ethereum, um, it's obviously the biggest. It's the one that's been around the, the the longest. It's got the most developers. Polkadot was literally secondary to it out of pretty much all the blockchains. And there's actually value in interconnectivity. There's value in mm-hmm. everything in life. Sometimes we just don't attach a monetary value to it. Although, as Metcalfe's law, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of looks at network and and, and value can be. Um, Derived from that, you know, I, I think Polkadot is doing something uh, truly special, and you know, I'm I, I'm super happy you guys are building on top of it. And to come back to sort of uh, knowledge and and the kind of history of it and where we're at today with this abundance of knowledge on the internet and how it's made things really inclusive. One of my favourite sayings out there is that it's not what people know, it's what they know that ain't so that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, is where technology like Origin Trails is stepping in. Because you can now go back and see the lineage of this data. You can see the linkage of this data. And this fundamentally changes um, everything. And I, I want to come on to AI systems. We've touched on it briefly. And um, deep fakes and things like this. And, and you know, with the election year coming up, this stuff's going to be very interesting because anyone could put anything on the internet right now. Um, mm. And you, know, you, you can't really verify it and sort of um, be able to d- distinguish kind of what's true from what's not in many cases. Um, but before I do that, quick question is, how are you guys right now, and there's probably various ways that you guys are pulling together data to put on the graph. It, it, how would you summarize how you guys are getting the data? Yeah, so um, before before um, launching the knowledge mining, um, using DKG was uh, predominantly an enterprise play, uh, which... Suited, suited us well uh, since we came from the enterprise uh, yep. background and we also initially deployed solutions for the supply chain sector. Uh, so the vast amount of data still up until this date is being shared into the decentralized knowledge graph by the enterprises yep. uh, from many directions, from construction, from supply chains, uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, transportation, uh, railway sector. So we have companies such as uh, Swiss Federal Railways using uh, DKG to exchange information. Essentially, they're uh, uh, suppliers of spare parts such as Siemens uh, and uh, you know the big ones, uh, making sure that you know the railway railway system is smarter as well as safer. Uh, so this is one such example. So you would have companies essentially that would contribute, that would still contribute contribute the predominant amount of of information contained within this decentralized knowledge graph. And how they do it, we also build um, a layer of uh, proprietary proprietary technologies that are needed for enterprises to actually interface uh, with the DKG. One such technology is called uh, network operating system. Uh, in a nutshell, network operating system is used uh, by the companies to essentially relay uh, knowledge assets onto the decentralized knowledge graph without having to worry about you know the crypto complexities. So we, the core development company Trace Labs, uh, would maintain this proprietary piece of technology called network operating system, um, and we would take care of all the complexities uh, crypto related. Uh, and they would simply, you know, uh, care about things that they get out of the system, the value they get out of the system, and they would uh, pay subscription fees essentially to to run um, their applications on top of the DKG. And th- this still acts as a middleware. So then their applications, be it be it SAP, be it uh, legacy systems, could retrieve information out of the DKG even via email. So. We kind of positioned the DKG as a middleware. We didn't want to rip and replace the existing uh, legacy systems. Uh, and perhaps this is also one of the reasons why we believe that we cannot just simply forego everything that has, you know, that is in existence in the, yeah. in the world, the legacy, but simply we should perhaps as a Web3 act as a middleware. So essentially, the long story short, it's the enterprises currently. And now with the advent of so-called knowledge mining and to the same, to a similar extent as uh, mining Bitcoin, um, you know, knowledge can be mined. Knowledge assets can be mined on the on the on the Origin Trail network. 
participants from all walks of life, from art, well, um, was an example. Science, yeah. Can, can can start minting, can start generating assets, and then even earn rewards uh, from from the token that exists on Polkadot Parachain. It's called Neuro, and um, yeah, this g- gives us much more. This provides much more vectors for the growth of the knowledge graph, but also provides a, a very innovative way to signal what is a useful knowledge. Uh, and right now we're in the so-called, um, so the latest development fa- phase, we named it after Bob Metcalf. It's called Metcalf phase. And right now we are in the first stroke of this phase. It's called Genesis phase. And in this Genesis phase, our aim is to essentially generate Genesis knowledge from all different like categories that you can possibly imagine. And then using the knowledge mining mechanism, we would like to signal which of this Genesis knowledge is actually most meaningful, most useful, most quality, because in the future we will see new knowledge uh, appear on the DKG, which will be, which will be linked to the Genesis knowledge. And this is how also miners of the Genesis knowledge will be able to accrue rewards based on how useful their knowledge is. Uh, so it's an wow. innovative uh, approach. And right now, so we're kind of slowly transitioning from. Having, uh, having only companies, only enterprises relay, relaying information onto the DKG to having anyone use the DKG. And you even have a so-called uh, very interesting application. It's called Chat DKG. Yep. Uh, so you're, you're, not, you're now able to chat with the network by, let's say, going on to Twitter. And you can, again, prompt Chat DKG and ask a question about, say, you know, how, the, how do Polkadot and Origin Trail drive uh, transparency and artificial intelligence, and bam, you would get a response back to to the uh, to to Twitter to X platform. And again, yeah. it's all being done by essentially um, uh, using the the rack system, so the retrieval augmented generation, and then you would get a summary as a response back on on the Twitter. So this is how we kind of make it more seamless, not only for the knowledge to appear on the network, but for anyone to essentially query the knowledge. And you know, gets to know what what exists on, on a decentralized knowledge graph, even to an extent that now some of the enterprises, one one such particular instance is uh, is a producer of food products, uh, they would want to feature a product, uh, an application built on on DKG in a TV commercial. commercial. Wow. So you'd be able to scan uh, scan a code and then go to the application, which is clearly powered by the DKG and ask questions about their products. Um, and same would be done in supermarkets, say. So you as a consumer would scan a product and then you'd, you'd be immediately transferred to the application powered by the, by the DKG. Uh, so I think we have le- reached a level of, I would say, seamless use for anyone for retails within the retail space so that in a way uh web3 or at least a small portion of the web3 technology technologies can really knock on many homes uh and you know get itself introduced uh in in a in a in a very kind of cool form an organic form as well i think you know it's, yeah, i think with, yes. with, with web3 people try and reinvent the wheel a lot of times when actually the wheel kind of worked um in the web2 space it just could do with perhaps you know um different kind of tires being put on it you know um so it's it's all fascinating stuff and 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 you've touched about uh, you've touched on the kind of um chat side of things and that kind of brings us on to ai and actually you had mentioned that AI hallucinates. Now I know this firsthand. I use ChatGPT all the time, um, you know, and I've sent a few emails on ChatGPT before and stupidly not actually read what I was sending, and had responses back like, "I'm sorry, this makes no sense," you know. So <laughs> you guys can kind of, I guess, step in. And when I've, I've read the email, it hasn't made any sense. I didn't even know what had really uh, came out of it. My own fault. You guys are kind of applying verifiable knowledge, which gives these AI systems provenance. Now, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books on AI. One of the main issues that people continue to come up with is the lack of provenance with the data that's inputted into these AI systems. You guys are effectively solving that problem. Can we talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So again, the, the the same core primitives that we developed, such as knowledge assets, can be used to... Um, to essentially be be retrieved by such generative AI systems and then provide you with a summary 
or like the, the answer as, as a summary. But then, you know, in a case of uh, just merely using open AI, you're not able to verify anything. You, you should like blindly trust it or go and, you know, do your research yep. um, all over again from, from scratch, basically. Now, in the case of um, the DKG, uh, and you, you, you can even test it out. You can go to Origin Trail World website or you can test it on, on Twitter. Uh, there is a profile called Chat DKG. You can follow it. And then there you also have instructions how to use an open AI-like interface uh, for asking questions about you know, the knowledge assets that exist on the DKG. Now, there is one caveat. Obviously, uh, the system would tell you if the DKG does not contain uh, knowledge, information about the topics that you're interested in. So that's of kind of a limitation. But of course, this limitation is being um, annihilated slowly but surely uh, in the future when we're adding more and more knowledge base to the system, knowledge assets. But essentially, when you're asking Chad DKG you know, a question, uh, you get a very nicely summarized answer. It looks like Chad GPT, but there is one important distinction. You're always able to click on all the knowledge assets listed uh, there, all the knowledge assets that were used to produce the answer that you're that you're reading, and you can go all the way to the source, seeing on chain, on pair chain, you know who issued the knowledge asset when it was updated. You can see wow. the knowledge graph, so you can see all the you know the linked data existing in in the knowledge asset, and this is really kind of the um, this is really where people kind of. Uh, experience this serendipitous moment and they really understand why information provenance is important nowadays. Now, information provenance, so this caveat here, I think it's very important. Information provenance does not equal truth. So yep. you should always, you know, apply grain of salt. You should always supply, you know, your analytical capabilities to analyze whether or not, you know, certain knowledge asset is an actual representation of truth. But still, you know, being able to trace back information to its source, to, to, its, to its originator, that's a huge deal. And that's yep. the leapfrog that the decentralized knowledge graph is bringing to the uh, artificial intelligence uh, world. Yep, yep, it's absolutely huge. Like I say, provenance, it doesn't equal truth. I think that's a really important distinction because just because you can prove where something's come from doesn't mean that that person the information's come from is actually the source of mm -hmm. truth. You know, it could be anyone, but you will get to see who that anybody is and make your own decision based on that and other um, kind of links that you decide to derive from it. Um, Ziga, there's, I, I, I had read somewhere and you had mentioned about Walmart and, and, and companies like this and supply chains, that 40% of international trade imports in the United States currently use origin trails. I'm not sure whether I took that down right. Could you talk on that slightly? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's the, the example that I touched upon briefly uh, before. Yeah. Uh, so we, we we were fortunate enough to partner with uh, a few very like reputable companies, uh, organizations, one such being the British Standards Institution. And with them, um, in 2021, I believe, 20, we launched a white paper, joint white paper, in which we described a... Uh, um, a handful of applications that would bring like massive, massive impact to the supply chain and enterprise space in a regulatory compliance uh, fashion where British Standards Institution is uh, an expert uh, in. And uh, we're there somewhat of a, a somewhat of an exclusive blockchain solutions provider. And with them, we developed a solution that is called Scan Trusted Factory. Scan again, again the same, uh, the same, the same uh, consortium of companies that I that I mentioned before, uh, importers to the states, and these organizations uh, in 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 total, uh, their imports represent forty percent of the entirety wow. of imports to the United States uh, in terms of the dollar value, and forty percent of the of of the you know the totality of imports are being secured uh by the solution called scan trusted factory uh which is uh which has this core underpinning uh which is origin trail to secure information exchange in the form of secure uh, security ex exchanged uh, uh information or sorry uh company audits on yep. over 20 i think 24 25000 factories uh mainly for from asia 
Wow, absolutely huge. Yeah, I had to ask you about that because I did have I, a number of people um, that I'm very close with had asked me about that and said, you know, uh, be, be, be sure to ask that question because that that's pretty huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you guys are huge from so many different levels. You know, for me, it really makes a hell of a lot of sense. I'm fully behind Origin Trails and what you guys are doing. Uh, and I'm very excited to see how 2024, 2025 and the future looks and how you guys help to shape that. I know I've taken up quite a bit of your time, Zigger, um, and it, it, it is greatly, greatly appreciated. The last thing, I guess, for me to kind of do, because I don't want to cram too much. We could go on for hours and hours, I'm sure, but I don't want to cram too much information into this one podcast. And I'm uh, hopeful that we have the opportunity to interview you again. The last thing really for me to do, Zigger, is to um, ask people where they can find you and where they can find more about Origin Trails out at. Of course, we'll leave links to your website, your Twitter, your personal Twitter, if you're happy for us to put that up there in the description. But is there anywhere you would mm-hmm. urge people Absolutely. to go to? Uh, yeah. Um, so um, let's let's start offline because in a, in a, in a few weeks, uh, we're, uh, we're going to do a small European roadshow. Uh, we're also sponsoring one of the most important supply chain events uh, globally. It's called GS1 uh, Summit, GS1 Week. Uh, we're their innovation sponsor. So we're going to be uh, in Brussels. If you happen to be in Brussels, you can you can meet us there. And then also in a few weeks' time, we just got confirmed. We're co-hosting a meetup with Google in Amsterdam. Wow. So Google is going to uh, kind of give us spaces. And also we're going to kind of join we're going to be um we're going to be there with a the host uh, host uh, at, at at their offices so we can um we're going to share more details about that later on you can Brilliant. stop by in amsterdam and have a beer with us and uh, chat it's going to be a small meetup wow. uh we're going to be talking about you know how origin trail and google by kind of kind of fostering this more cohesive approach can also provide you know more trust um, to to artificial intelligence. So yep. that's kind of the the offline uh, events where you can uh, catch us uh, in the following month. Uh, uh, otherwise, OriginTrail.io is a very like a very comprehensive uh, resource of knowledge about Origin Trail. You can also then go click on the Origin Trail world and you can chat with our network. You can chat about you can ask us or you can ask the chat DKG anything about Origin Trail about its uh, resources, about uh, tutorials, how to get involved, how to build solutions on top of it. How does Polkadot drive also, uh, you know, the consensus layer of Origin Trail? So that's the informational part. Uh, the community, Origin Trail community is absolutely helpful. Anyone who pops yep. up in Telegram, they help them out with uh, the answers. They guide them through uh, node setup. Uh, even now when we're introducing staking, uh, if you are interested in staking your utility tokens, you can come into Telegram uh, and uh, ask any question. Just be mindful that you only follow official sources, which you see listed on the OriginTrail.io uh, website. So Telegram, Discord, uh, the usual suspects. Of course, Twitter. You can find me uh, on Twitter as D-R-E-V-Z-I-G-A. Uh, you can also follow uh, Origin Trail and other associate, associated uh, entities to, to Origin Trail, such as Trace Labs, core development company, Trace Alliance, which is an educational hub of, of Origin Trail, uh, and also NeuroWeb.ai, uh, which is a parachain on, on Polkadot. Yep, yep. And we'll leave the links to all that in the description. Uh, and again, just to reiterate um, some comments there, make sure you're following the right people um, and the yeah. official sources, but we'll leave links in the description. <laughs> um, Ziga, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. And like I say, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I've really enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And uh, really looking forward to do this again. Thank you.